Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 2. Now, what's interesting here, uh, this is a literary device. Matthew actually follows Mark. Mark is most likely, the, the, well, almost assuredly, Mark's the first gospel of the three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Both Matthew and Luke have a copy, some copy of Mark in front of them when they write their gospel. 70% of Mark is reproduced in Luke. 90% of Mark is reproduced in Matthew. And what's interesting here is the writer of Mark, and Matthew follows him, kind of uses a literary device. This is kind of a flashback that happens in the gospel. And um, well, it, the text puts its own, the text gives you the context. So listen to the word of God. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John that you hear what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, why did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, through your word proclaimed, open up to us, you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I really appreciate about the scriptures is how often they do not whitewash things. Okay. Now, maybe when you have a pious reader up front and we speak in you know, kind of refined language, you miss the fact that this is a text that shows that John the Baptist was doubting that Jesus was the real deal. And to be honest with you, okay, there might be real reasons for John the Baptist to doubt that this was the Messiah that he was expecting. I mean, John the Baptist was a pretty rigorous guy, okay? Lived out in the wilderness. He may have very well been associated with the Dead Sea Scroll community, the Qumran community. Um, and the Judean wilderness is a tough place. I've been there. Even today, it's kind of a tough place. And that's where he came to his own. And people came out to him. People left the cities to come into the Judean wilderness, which is a little bit of a hike, to hear him preach. And he was a, he was a reformer. Like the people of the, Dead, of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Qumran community, he was critical of the establishment. And he said the day had come, that God's day was coming, and the Messiah would come and clean this mess up. Now, he's the one who baptized Jesus, right? And he prophesied, this is the one. But sitting in Herod's prison, awaiting what will be his execution, 
He's not so sure about this Jesus guy right now. It seemed right. God seemed to speak to him when he saw him. But this guy, he seems to be a little soft around the edges when it comes to sinful people. I've heard things. (laughs) We've heard things. I mean, he hangs out with tax collectors. There are some people of questionable reputation who follow him. There's some stories about some women. And those 12 guys that follow him, I wouldn't hire any of them. So what's going on? So John the Baptist sends some of his followers to ask Jesus, you know, it's kind of like, Jesus, how are you doing? Okay. Um, We just have a few questions. Are you the Messiah? Or what he's really saying, or is there something better coming? Because we're a little worried about you right now. That's not what he says, but that's what he means. Just like our lives, the story of our faith is one where there are shadows of doubt, of compromise, where things don't work out the way we thought they were supposed to work out. And Jesus quotes our Isaiah passage, Isaiah 35, this amazing passage of the day when the leap, with a lame will leap, the blind will see, when the desert will flower, when God intervenes and heals broken bodies, heals a broken nature, sets people free from their prisons. You know, I think John the Baptist is a pretty good metaphor for for Advent. It's the tension we live in as Christians. Now, for people who are more liturgical, and I appreciate those churches, we kind of create a fiction in Advent, right? So we don't sing Christmas hymns because it's not Christmas yet. We talk about we anticipate the coming of Jesus, although uh, the reason we're all in this building is because Jesus came, right? (laughs) So I, I go ahead and sing Christmas songs during Advent because I like them. You only get to sing them once in a while, and that's the only reason. That's a pretty good reason. All right? So there's a sense where, though we are reminded, and some years the lectionary gives us passages during Advent about the second coming of Christ. So we're reminded, though, that we believe Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, that's what Christ is, has come. There's a lot of things undone, left undone in this world. Martin Buber, the great... Jewish philosopher wrote in Berlin in 1932 and 33 around that time and things were becoming increasingly uncomfortable for a Jewish philosopher in Berlin in 1933 he wrote an editorial said why I don't believe Jesus is the Messiah and he said very clearly if Jesus was the Messiah the world would be a better place well the world got a whole lot worse after 1933, and Martin Buber barely escaped with his life um, when he left Germany in 1938. So the 20th century is a pretty good argument that maybe our understanding of Messiah isn't quite right. But Jesus is talking about a different kind of fulfillment of the Isaiah 35 passage. Now again, Jesus did heal the lame, He healed the blind. 
He cleansed lepers. He raised the dead. But everybody Jesus healed eventually died. Have you ever thought about that? Everyone Jesus healed eventually died. So even on those amazing days when those prayers were answered, they were penultimate answers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian who died before his 40th birthday because he opposed Adolf Hitler, said this in his prison cell awaiting for his execution by John the Baptist. He wrote this poem. In me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but what you there, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Lord Jesus Christ, you are poor and in distress, a captive and forsaken as I am. You know all of man's troubles. You abide with me. When all men fail me, you remember and seek me. It is your will that I should know you and turn to you. Lord, I hear your call and follow. Help me. John the Baptist, Dietrich Bonhoeffer were literally in prison. And there are literally millions of people in prison this morning. Some because they committed crimes, although there are some in this country particularly who would be out of prison if they had had better lawyers. Prison is a money-making business in our country, which is part of the problem. There are innocent people in prison, political prisoners in Russia, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, religious prisoners in China and North Korea, folks in internment camps, refugee camps, detention centers. But for all the people who are literally in prison, there are a hundredfold, a thousandfold, who are in a different kind of prison. And in the prisons of their minds, in the prison of their addictions, in the prison of hate, of anxiety, in the prison of fear, in the prison of crippling self-images. And sometimes our bodies become a prison. I remember that I had arthritis this morning as I was reaching down to get my teacup. Okay. I got it, but I was reminded that all is not well with my joints this morning. And of course, there are more serious prisons than my arthritic back this morning, right? People who can no longer be mobile. People who can no longer do the things they love to do. Broken minds, broken wills, broken bodies can all create a kind of prison. One of the best people I ever knew was Dr. Ann Bates. She's an emergency pediatric physician at DuPont Hospital, one of the best children's hospitals in the world. Uh, Anne was <laughs> just an amazing woman. Smart, good, uh, a beautiful woman, a beautiful soul. I did her wedding. I baptized her child. 
Her husband and I were good friends. He was the initially the lacrosse coach at Drexel. And as you know, my younger boys were lacrosse players, and through that whole thing, he helped give me guidance and advice. While Anne was in her late 30s, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And they operated on the tumor, and she had to learn to walk and talk all over again. And I can remember standing with her husband at Bryn Mawr Rehab, watching her you know, do, you know, do the walking exercise. And I turned to him and said, it's amazing how patient and peaceful she is. All of a sudden, she started shaking her fist at her, her physical therapist and just making an angry motion for them to get away. And her husband turned to me and goes, sometimes. <laughs> but she learned to walk again. She learned to talk again. She practiced medicine again. And her husband was the head coach of Drexel uh, Lacrosse. And they played, this was a year later, they were playing University of Virginia. At that point, the number one team in the country. My youngest, or my third son was on the Virginia team. My youngest son had just committed to play for Virginia. So we drove down and Ann was, was with us uh, and her son. And Drexel beat Virginia. That would be like our ladies of perpetual motion beating Alabama in football, okay? A huge upset, a huge upset. And Ann ran out of the stands and jumped the fence. Okay. Now, a year earlier, she couldn't walk. But she jumped the fence and ran out to celebrate with her husband. I mean, there are other stories. She went on a mission trip with me, a woman who was in a wheelchair, totally disabled. Anne was assigned to her house. We were building a porch there and a ramp. And she went through all her meds and gave a list to the social worker saying this shouldn't be going on. A year later, we came back to the same place in North Carolina. This woman, this lovely woman, walked up to us. Um, we didn't recognize her. It was the woman who had been in a wheelchair. So Anne helped her be free from her prison. Well, the cancer eventually came back. And um, I remember going to see Anne up in Princeton. And uh, she beat, she beat leukemia, uh, but she, the tumor came back. And the third cancer is what took her. And I remember seeing her, uh, and she was such a fighter. Um, but she looked up, she's so tired. And she said to me, she says, you know, I'm tired, Bill, but I'm at peace. Tragedy, triumph, joy, sadness, but peace. Our hope for Advent, our hope for Christians, our hope for this world, our hope for our lives, is that the joy that we have from knowing God is something that's not connected with human happiness or success. It's a joy that can be had around table with our children. It's a joy that can be had in the triumph of an athletic event. It's a joy that can hold on to you in a cancer ward or a prison cell. 
It's a joy that can help you fight those dark feelings. It's a joy that can help you stay sober or try to be sober another day. Or the day after you fail to start again. It's a joy that holds on to you even though everything around you can be going wrong. It's the kind of joy that was born by a teenage mother in a cave away from her family. That set fire to the whole world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand and proclaim what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 